McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans, and welcome to Pure Forecast episode 210. Well, what can we say about Leighton Orient? That game was pathetic. Join the podcast today's Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Yeah, I feel like every time we start the podcast, you're like, how are you doing, Andy? How are you doing, Freddie? We're always just like, yeah, pretty good, thanks. You, how are you? You know what? I've had a terrible week. <laughs> Saturday was the uh, the kicking off of it, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we said in the in the brewery before the game, Hugh, how you know we're making the most of the brewery because sometimes it's the best bit of a Saturday, and it was. Uh, yeah, so just before the game, I think memory lost stuff from uh, from my head injury kicked in, and I actually forgot who we were playing against, which is never a good sign. I thought we were playing Stevenage, which wasn't quite right. And then after the game, Cardiff Central train cancelled or delayed, whatever. Brilliant. Got home at twenty past nine in the evening, and after that, worthwhile trip. And uh, yeah, it's just been a bit of a mess, to be honest with you. Now the water pressure's all gone in my flat, so I can't even have a hot shower. I'm just, I'm living the dream. It's, it's been a show, honestly. Absolute, absolute joke. Yeah, and no, I've had a similar time. I came back from Pompey, been down about it. Then obviously, you know, it's this time of year, so managed to get a cold as well. Luckily, I sound well enough to do the podcast, so that's all good. But let's be honest, I think everything's just falling around, falling down around us, isn't it? I think so. Was it you that texted me saying it was Blue Monday? So technically Monday this week was the most depressing day of the year. It's like seasonal affective disorder kicks in and all of that. But obviously we've done what the natural response is when this all goes wrong and your football club has annoyed you. Got tickets for Port Vale away and Oxford away because that's what we do. We're idiots. We're glutton for punishment and we just enjoy putting ourselves through it. Yeah, Paul Vale away. Let's talk about Freddie Webb. Can bring him into the conversation because he was there waving his hands around, celebrating the away tickets. How are you, Freddie Webb? Oh, I'm not bad to you, thank you. Yeah, well, aside from the football, things are pretty normal with me. Uh, Blue Monday was actually a stressful shift for me at work because everything was going off. But aside from that, all good. And yeah, shame about the Orient game. It was utterly dreadful, as we'll talk about. And yeah, I couldn't even have a proper beer afterwards as well because of dry January, which was insult to injury to be honest can i just jump in and say you're doing almost dry january because drinking 0.5 percent alcohol freddie is not no alcohol you're just well lowest percentage <laughs> alcohol possible I-, I will let the listeners decide on that one because it was the closest thing they had in the pub to le- le- non-alcoholic thing so i decided 0.5 was enough closest thing in the pub they had counts for nothing freddie if the closest thing in the pub they had to non-alcoholic beer was tequila and you drank it it still wouldn't make the tequila non-alcoholic oh yes i wouldn't have had tequila that would that would have been oh yeah that's got an alcohol percentage that would be silly oh yeah 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 yeah, literally whereas a 0.5 percent beer wasn't going to kill me was it ah but it's still a couple of them it's still not alcohol free freddie which is kind of our point so basically you've sacked off dry january it's almost dry january it's damp january it's moist january mildly moist january mildly (laughs) moist january that's i don't like that i know yeah my toes are killed at that um do you know what fred you can put that on your tinder profile i'm going to (laughs) mildly moist january oh god (laughs) come join come join in come join me for mildly moist january i'm going to be fair I should have just had a whiskey after the game. I think it would have made me feel better more than anything. Would have I mean, warmed I, you up. Yeah, I, I definitely would have jumped on that, to be honest, Fred. And I did. I went to the pub after the game, although we left pretty sharpish, because let's be honest, everyone was really depressed and there's nothing fun about commiserating with a few beers when everyone's down, so we moved on. Talking about moving on, let's get started on what we're talking about today. So first of all, we are going to 
That's right, people. Stay with us. Review the game against Leighton Orient. Following by that, we're going to talk about some of the bits in the news. And finally, we're going to preview the game on Saturday for all you nutters travelling up to Fleetwood. Let's get started, boys. Leighton Orient. Thinking about how to approach this, really, how to talk about the game. I'm just going to talk about from really chronologically from the start there and the first goal was a pretty bad giveaway, wasn't it? But even before that, they had a shot that could have gone in. It was deflected out for a corner within 10 seconds. At that point, I was like, all right, lucky escape. Rally boys, you know, let's go back from there. It just didn't really happen, did it? Actually, do you know what? Before we start getting into the game, let's just talk about it from a level of... We didn't really ever get going in this game. I know Messino said, I think it was after the game, that we were fine for the first 20 minutes or whatever. We weren't, were we? We weren't fine in this game. We're never really in this game. For some reason, we don't seem to be able to pass the ball from defence midfield and actually build through the thirds to make any sort of attack. It was pretty impotent and not surprising, really, was it, Andy, that Leighton Oren got the first goal? No, I mean, you saw them set their stall out. As you say, it was the first 12 seconds or something. They played a ball between Sparks and Shocknessy on that left-hand side of our defence. And... That was very much a sign of things to come. They they went straight for the jugular early doors. And when they went a goal up, you'd have to say it was deserved. I think it was it was Shaq Ford who was just sitting between our midfield and our defence, just creating a pocket and getting the ball under no pressure and turning to face the back four. And then there was an overlap on that left-hand side of defence every single time. And you have to say that they were good value for it when they scored. I think Ford and Aji both had really good games for them. They looked lively. They looked energetic. And I know that, you know, Leighton Orient hadn't had a game for 12 days or something before they played us. So they were going to be a little bit more fresh-legged, but it's not an excuse for that level of disparity between their energy levels and our energy levels. And I was mostly disappointed, even by the time the first goal went in, that we weren't adapting to Shaq Ford being in that pocket. Like we've got two defensive midfielders playing in Morel and Pack, who are both in that gap between the traditional defence and the traditional midfield. And neither of them were able to execute any sort of plan to sort of negate that or not even negate it, just to slightly reduce the threat level. Cause that happened throughout all the first half. Every time Ford got the ball, they looked like they were going to create a really good goal scoring chance. And yeah, as you say, when the first goal goes in completely deserved, I'm I've literally watched the highlights back for the first time about 20 minutes ago. Cause I've been so aggy about it all week. I've not actually watched the goals back after seeing them live. Cause I don't want to see them again. Uh, to be honest with you, it was <laughs> it were piss poor goals to concede. Um, but I'm still not entirely sure how two players get drawn in and then track back so slowly that is it Aji makes the run through or is it Ford? Who scores the first goal? Was it Ford? It was Ford with Ford one, scored the first one, goal. two between him and Max Sanders, who also yeah. had a very good game. He was also near Ford and Aji a lot and those three were sort of rotating in the round. So I, I don't really through. see how that run from Ford isn't tracked, to be honest with you. And it unfortunately was a, a portent of things to come uh, in terms of, I mean, I, I'm sure we'll name individuals who didn't have their best game, but particularly on that left side of defence, people were just not being able to get hold of their man. So yeah, we went a goal down, utterly deserved, could have been one down before then, or it were good value for it at the time. I would say that usually defending set pieces has been quite a strength for us throughout the season. We've been pretty good at it, both scoring and defending set pieces. We've been good at. So I'm going to try and come on to the first one, which is defending set pieces, because two of their goals come from corners. And the first one that comes from a corner, again, you just get beaten at the near post effectively. It bobbles through and they manage to get a leg on it first. We look very static, don't we? Very ball watchy. No one's getting that confidence to come and claim things or get stuck in. We look shell-shocked after they came at us a little bit here, I think, in the in the first half. We go a goal down. The organisation doesn't really look there, does it, from set pieces, Andy? Yeah, I think for that first goal from the corner that we can see, there's different problems for the two goals. The first, well, Orient's second goal, so the first we conceded from a corner... I agree with you. It's totally static. But a lot of that, I think, is because the corner was going into the near post. 
and you expect the man on the near post to clear it. So there's only so much that players, you know, around the far end of the six-yard box are going to be moving around when the ball is clearly going to the near post. But I think it's Bishop who misses the clearing header, which just, yeah, causes havoc because suddenly our defensive players are on their heels, and which obviously they shouldn't be, but they unfortunately are. And they're not expecting the ball to come across to them and, yeah, orient respond quicker. Freddie, what were your takes on the well, the second goal overall? Yeah, it was it was incredibly rough, wasn't it? It was Sparks and Bishop almost both going for the ball near post before it bubbles over to Jordan Brown, who was just on his own at the back post. I mean, no, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know why the team set up as it did from set pieces with n- nobody on both posts, and also one player, and also the fact that they didn't have one player in a counter attacking position from the corner. But that's by the by. But it just seemed like they, it, there was no unified approach. The players were confused about where they were, which is why Bishop and Sparks pretty much both went to the same ball, missed it, and then it bobbles over to a midfielder just completely on his own at the back post. It was pretty dreadful defending and not what we'd seen from Pompey throughout the season. It was, yeah, I, I can forgive like an individual mistake sometimes, but that was uh, that was poor from multiple players and from a setup point of view as well. Our ability to actually win the ball back, interestingly, we actually did really well in all the dual metrics. I don't know if you wanted to bring this up, but 61% of the duels were won overall. And then you look at what happens afterwards. You win the ball back, but what do you do with it? I mean, Leighton Orient had 14 interceptions in this game, which just goes to show we got to a level where we just weren't able to execute anything going forward. I thought in the first half, Joe Morrell looked better than some of the players, to be fair. He actually tried to pass and move a little bit. He was trying to get people to then sort of like move around him. But as soon as he did that pass, move, look for some space, it was so static, wasn't it? And we nearly given a lifeline actually going forward, weren't we? When Sparks gets taken down, it's a penalty and Bishop then steps up for it. You think, okay, I thought he was going to score. I was confident about it. But no. Unfortunately, it's a side for keeper guesses the right way. I would say, though, that the keeper was going that way quite early. I personally think as a striker in that situation, maybe you go the other way. Not to be too critical because Bishop has scored a lot of penalties this season, hasn't he? But at the same time, it just showed the confidence we've got in front of goal. Yeah, I mean, the, honestly, my first thought when that was saved, actually, no, my first thought I can't put on the podcast, my second thought after that was saved was how much annoying ammunition it's going to give to the people who don't necessarily always watch the games, but then post on social media that all Bishop contributes to the team is scoring penalties, which, as we've discussed before, is so inherently incorrect. It's, um, I don't want to sort of repeat the same script we talked about, but... In terms of, you know, his penalty conversion rate, his career conversion rate is 86%. And this season, this is the sixth one he's taken and the first he's missed. And, you know, eventually you are... Um, was it Shearer or, or the crazy guy from Southampton that we don't talk about, uh, Tin 4 Haploke, that had like the perfect penalty conversion record in the Premier League? It was either Shearer or Letizier, I can't remember which. But it's unusual to get someone who doesn't miss any penalties ever. I'm sure if I sit here and defend Bishop, we're going to get people going, oh, Bishop lovers, blah, 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 and all of that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's the first penalty he's missed out of six this season. He scores nearly nine out of ten of them over the course of his career. And in terms of goals per 90 minutes overall contributed to the side, his trajectory since 2020 has just been upwards. So 2021-22, he scored more per 90 than the season before. 22-23, he scored more per 90 than the season before. And 23-24 so far, he's scoring more per 90 than the season before. So his career trajectory is improving. Yeah, it wasn't a great penalty. He opened his body up and it was a it did look like a penalty of, you know, a side low on confidence. If that goes in, maybe the game goes in a different different direction. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Who knows? On a in a parallel universe, maybe it did. But yeah, he opens his body up and keeper makes a decent save, but I think if the keeper guesses the wrong way there and it goes in, no one's saying it's not a good penalty, are they? <laughs> Plenty of those penalties go in if the keeper guesses the wrong way. I think I'll give my opinion opinions on Bishop on this game specifically now, since we're on it. I really didn't think he had a good game. And that's comparing it to the to the last game against Cheltenham, 
where I know he didn't score, but his link-up play with Kamara and Lane was back to sort of where it was. He he had that chance in that game for about six yards, the header that he missed, but it, it wasn't entirely clear-cut since the, the cross was just above him. I know the midfield was also poor in this game, but it was just the fact that Bishop didn't really impact it enough, didn't link up with the wingers properly, so they were bereft of chances. And later in the game, he spent most of his time arguing at the referee over defenders pulling his shirt. And at 80 minutes in, as a striker, you know what the ref- what sort of fouls the referee's going to give. And he was never going to give that sort of stuff. And I know a lot's been said of his comments in the media a while back and the hand cupping and the ear cupping celebration and stuff. I personally rated that. But if you're an athlete and you are going to do that, you have to back it up with results. And He's had two of his worst games in the last three, uh, extra away and this game here. I think he'll bounce back for the rest of the season, but there is a reason for the flack that he's getting, I think, anyway, just purely on recent form more than anything. I would say that in between those games, you have the Stevenage game, which I thought he played a blinder. I thought he actually did really well in that game. He set up goals. He looked really good in his link-up play. And I thought, okay, you know, split behind him. Let's push forward. So I will put that in there as well because that was a positive game. I thought he did really well. That was a trademark sort of Colby Bishop game that explains why he is actually such a good link-up striker as well. The player that allowed the wingers to run on, you know, in front of him. And Leighton Orient were passing it out, but they were committing men forward. So there should have been an option for him to be able to come short, collect the ball and lay it through. Unfortunately, we didn't seem to have any way of setting up in the in the attacking you know half. We didn't seem to be able to bring players into play. Let's talk quickly about Christian Sadie starting at ten. I don't think he had very a very good impact at all in this game. He seems like a great player to bring off the bench, and he's made some great impacts. He's obviously a very likable person in the squad as well. Maybe against tired legs to change it up, you bring him on, and it, it sort of, the ball sticks to him, and you can do something different with it, but. The difference between having him and Alex Robertson in that position in midfield was just such a difference, wasn't it? Yeah, I think if you even if you compare how we lined up to Leighton Orient in this game and you looked at the support that Archibald, Sanders and Ford were providing for Dan Adji up top in terms of putting men into the box and, and you know, creating options essentially when Adji picked up the ball when he was facing away from goal, there there wasn't that really at all from our side. And as you say, I think Sadie's had some really good games for us and will do again. I think this, again, similarly to what you said about Bishop, this wasn't one of them. And I think playing that system where you've got a, a 10 and a 9, if either of them have a poor game, it makes it really difficult for the other one to have a good game. They're so reliant on each other. It's like a symbiotic relationship during the game. And even second half, obviously, will come to this when when we're 3-0 down and absolutely chasing the game. And we've got balls going into the box and the ones that actually beat the first man, the number of times you look down and, you know, it's, Bishop was literally the only man in the box and we're 3-0 down and we get a ball. He's literally the only man in the box and he has to either go near post, far post or stay in the middle. And it just happened the ball didn't ever go to the same sort of quadrant or whatever the dividing it into three equivalent of quadrants are um, that he was in. And yeah, ideally you want a 10 who's going to be getting into those positions as well. I mean, if we're looking at our equivalent to Leighton Orient there, basically, if you want a ball in coming in from the left from Sparks, then, yeah, you want Bishop to be in the box, but you also need Sadie to be sort of making a run in or at least on the penalty box. You ideally want Kamara coming in at the far post. You know, you need options in the box and we didn't have that. So, yeah, I don't know if it was a, a tired legs thing for Sadie or if it was a tactical decision for him to to be slightly deeper, but there wasn't that interplay between the two of them. And like I say, if if Bishop has a bad game, it makes it difficult for Sadie and vice versa. And unfortunately, that was certainly the case here. But I didn't think we helped ourselves second half with getting bodies going forward. But we haven't even got to that yet because we've still got another goal to concede before we get to the joys of that. Yeah, let's just get this one over and done with then. It's a corner. Again, Bishop needs to win that header. He gets beaten at the near post, effectively by Aji. He comes across, puts it in the back of the net. Looks like we switched off from the corner. I know it's a classic sort of cliche thing to say, but it just looks like that all over. Only fun thing I can say is I did rate the Benjani celebration in front of the Fraten end. 
No, to, to use an, to use an expletive that boiled my piss. That did. Oh, I loved I was it. Furious. It was so good. <laughs> I hated it. Honest <laughs> to God. Such oh. a niche reference, isn't it? That's why I like it as well. Literally, By that point, the game had gone. So I think if that had happened at one nil, I'd have been in a similar boat to Freddie. When it's making it three nil at Fratton Park before half time. I thought it was incredible. I thought it was hilarious. Fair play to him. I think that that third goal we conceded for me was a, a microcosm of what went wrong in the game, though, because I think it was this third goal that we conceded the corner because we panicked playing out against the high press. So from memory, it was a goal kick. Norris played it out to Raggett on the right. Raggett got put under pressure, turned around and had to play a bit of an under pressure ball back to Norris who played it forward again, being closed down, at which point they turned possession over, came forward, won the corner. And one thing I noticed before they took the corner, I can't remember which of their players it was, was running forward, either from central defence or centre mid, and was shouting instructions that they had a, a plan of what to do in terms of putting a man on Norris to block him from coming to get the ball. And one of their players was running forward into the centre of the box. Um, I, I think it was Shaq Ford again. I think it was him. Um running into the box, doing a hand gesture, telling them to basically get on Norris and get their arms around him and stop him from moving. And yeah, from that corner, they do exactly that. They block him from being able to come out for the ball. I'm not sure it had gone and successfully got it anyway, but yeah, another one of their sort of plans from before the game worked out. There's a, a collection of bodies in front of Norris. I think Raggett's there. I think, um, I can't remember who the other player was in front of Norris and one other Pompey player and, he can't get anywhere near it. Having said that, it's headed in from the near post, so he probably wouldn't have got there anyway. So, Yeah, the amount of times the back four turned over possession in this game, when looking at the advanced pressing numbers, Leighton Orient didn't employ a high press as a unit. They just targeted specific areas and specific players. So we've mentioned Shaq Ford targeting both centre-halves, Sanders getting on other players as well. Whenever Raggett had the ball, he was pressed. Whenever Sparks had the ball, he was pressed. And they just turned it over an awful lot. And they didn't look like the back four unit as a whole like they had been in the previous season. Going back to the first goal, somehow Shotnessy gets drifted out of the central position to the wide area. And then Shackford has his one-on-one -on -one with Jack Sparks. Who out of the back four, that's who you don't want to be in the middle of the pitch having a one-on-one -on -one against a striker to defend. It was all over the place. And it was frustrating because it was the fact that Pompey were basically giving it away and that may be quite cross. And it didn't surprise me that Jack Sparks was hooked at half-time because he was having a pretty poor game. And considering Sadie didn't link up the play either, I don't I don't blame Messina for hooking him at half-time either, to be honest. Lowry was a bit all right though, wasn't he? One of the few positive bits, yeah. Let's get it out there, yeah. I think in the second half, he, he he it was it was the movement off the ball that was big for me, and due to the fact that whenever he was in possession, he he was pulling Lodore players out of their shape and then passing it to one of his teammates to be able to for Pompey to progress the ball a little bit. Problem is, Pompey didn't have anything in the final third, and like we mentioned earlier, it was only Coy Bishop in the box a lot of the time. So Pompey didn't really create a lot of clear cut chances, but the control in the midfield when Lowry came on was slightly better. And if he's fit for the rest of the season, if Morel or Pack need a sub, Tom Lowry's the perfect fit. But the problem is we have an entire bank of evidence from last season that the Pack morel lowry combination doesn't work because it's not advanced enough. It, it, you're not getting the best out of one of those players when you force one of them forward. And although Lowry had a good game in this game, he was still operating too deep because that's that's where he should be, you know? That's where he should be winning the ball. He should be winning the ball beat deep, turning it on a sixpence, passing it to another midfielder or a winger. And if I had to give a man of the match to somebody in that game, I probably would have given it to Tom Lowry, to be honest. But it showed where the squad was missing in this game. Devlin came on, didn't do that much, but didn't do anything wrong either. Josh Martin came on for the last quarter of an hour just with some match sharpness, but again, he didn't look, you know, he wasn't impactful. It, it said to me an awful lot that White and Scully in this game were left on the bench when they were supposed to be, like in, from the summer, when they were supposed to be the big impact players that we were talking about, the most creative players. And even it didn't matter that it was a 3-0 lead, you may as well bring those players on to chase it a little bit, that they were left on the bench. 
I think I think that said a lot to me, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, if they're not going to be the players you bring on to to change the game, to be games changers, I know a lot of people have come out and said we don't need a new winger. You know, we need we need a a striker and a centre attacking midfielder and defender. But when you're leaving those two players on the bench because they don't have that ability to come on, you you sort of think we do need a winger. You can't ride a twenty year old low knee who's having his first sort of who's having his first taste of, you know, competitive men's football, senior football, however you want to put it, I suppose. Not men's football, but senior football. I'm, I'm worried that Kamara's going to burn out if you keep running him. And I'm again, Lane's going to burn out. Same. With, same with, his, but, with his injury history from last season, anything could happen with that. And he's had a great season. But we've seen it from the earlier passes of play when the form also dips, that in a lot of those games where he didn't play very well, Kamara and Lane, Lane and Kamara were knackered. And the, and then their subset, then the squad of players come on and they don't do anything. So Messina almost seems forced due to results to basically play those players as much as they can. And the squad depth that we did have, due to injuries and other things, is splintering a little bit. It would have been nice to have Cassini Yengi on the bench to come on in this game to maybe ruffle some feathers at the second half. But we didn't have that. Would have been nice to, I don't know. Maybe have Zach Swanson on the bench, be a bit, be a bit more of an advanced fullback. But no, he's out injured with a groin strain as well. There's a lot there, and and that's why the fans are very angsty about January, and I don't blame them at all. Things in terms of squad depth, would you have done anything different with the starting eleven? Because I don't think I would. In terms of what Messino named for this game, I don't think I'd have done anything different from what he had available. Not with the starting eleven, no. Um, yeah, it was quite limited options, wasn't it? I think it would have been nice to have seen some of the players come on, considering that, considering the first half we watched. But no, I think really, what else could he have done? Maybe played Sadie in a bit more of an advanced role, I suppose. But a, a lot of the bad play I put purely on the players. I think the setup from the defensive, the defensive setup from the corner. Maybe he could tie Messino's brush with that, I suppose. But he can't do anything if the players fail to track their men every time. So, thing is, I was looking at the big picture here, and we don't score enough goals from open play to be a team that are looking to get promoted. You know, we're twelfth in the league from open play goals, so we're very reliant on those set play goals, which we're second in the league on. Although we are creating enough chances, I mean, Fred putting it out from Opta, I think we're second in the league in open play expected goals, but we're not scoring enough goals from even the chances we've made. And now I'm sure even those XG chances have really dried up, haven't they? I mean, if you look at the stats over the last few games, they've dried up completely. Even against Exeter, they they completely pummeled us by double the XG that we had. So we're not creating enough now. Before we were sort of scoring goals from set plays, Sparks' delivery wasn't very good in this game. So what you would have done before is you might get Robertson to take those free kicks or those set, those uh, corners. Obviously, he's not here. This very much looks like it's gone back to the end of last season. That's what I feel a little bit. When we couldn't score enough goals, when it was a lot of 1-1 draws. And at the moment, we're not even getting that. So I just sort of feel at the moment we've gone back to a little bit of that impotent, non-aggressive sort of passive a little bit I suppose looking at this game we looked very passive in this game and just over the last sort of five six games before that as well yeah I would agree with you it obviously doesn't help when the squad's best players get injured but that's when you have the, the squad depth to step up and looking at the players Terry Devlin's done very good when he's come in but he's only 20 and it's his first season in League One coming from Northern Ireland Christian Sadie's had a few games in the start where he's been good. I would say Burton Albion away was the best, was the biggest one. And he's looked good as an impact player, but he's not the number 10 that works in a Robertson, Pac, Morel fold. We know that Lowry plays too deep for that as well. And then the wingers, White and Scully, haven't performed for one reason or another when we expected them to do that in the first place. And then really... It, the only player really to come back, I'll bring I'll bring it in here since we're talking about squad depth. Andy Moon mentioned today that the only player really coming back soon is uh, Conor Ogilvy, which is a, which is massive for this team, I think, because Jack Sparks has dropped off a little bit, both in terms of his crossing stats, but also his defensive work. 
And Conor Ogilvie was playing brilliantly before he was injured, I thought. Obviously, not as advanced as Jack Sparks, but I think for this tricky patch coming up, I think we need more of a defender's full-back, I suppose. Hopefully he can come in at left-back if he's fit and stabilise some things. That would be, be brilliant for this side to have. But there's not many players returning from injury coming around the corner. You've still got Tino Andrew injured until February or whatever it is. And yes, I know that obviously the injury bug has got fans all, you know, saying all sorts of things on Twitter about all weather domes and all that nonsense. But, and I do think Pompey have been hit by the injury bug more than other teams. But I don't want to use it as an excuse because because this poor form run of form hasn't been entirely down to injuries. It's just the fact that individual players haven't been stepping up enough in this period in January. And they need help and support from transfers to be able to actually retain this top spot that Pompey just about are clinging on to. It seems like a good point to move us on. Fred, do you want to take us away to the news section, please, mate? Yeah, I certainly can. I'm not doing guest CXG this week. Sorry, but no, I, I don't want to look at the analytics for that game. I mean, I can actually hear the people turning off the podcast, Freddie. That, that's yes, unbelievable. Literally. Well, I don't blame them, to be honest with you. Um, so one of the Messino chatted to Andy Moon and also to the Ports of News as well uh, about slow January recruitment. He basically said that Pompey haven't missed out on any targets at all, which is one thing. I'll be keeping an eye on certain players and so on. Obviously, no names for obvious reasons. But he cited some excuses as to why. He basically said that with the major international tournaments, players have been going away. So the squad depth players they were looking for who weren't playing and now suddenly playing for those clubs. So less likelihood of transfers coming in. Obviously, Pompey had that when they were linked with George Edmondson at Ipswich. And Massinho basically said as well that there's not really a lot of business early on in January anyway, and most of it's done at the end. And yeah, that, that that's it basically in a nutshell. He, believe, he believes that the squad is decent enough as it is and that they would only bring in transfers if they're of a high quality and they're going to make a difference. Now, I've got currently on Transfer Mart open the full list of transfers that have happened in January, because obviously Twitter discourses are basically everybody is signing players other than Pompey. So let's try and average it out a little bit. Um, let's pick some teams near, nearby at the top of the table. Blackpool brought in Hayden Coulson. Bolton have brought in nobody, but their squad's quite good anyway. We have obviously Lyle Taylor came in at Cambridge United, but that was a low-hanging fruit one. Charlton have been the most active, bringing in Connor Coventry from West Ham, but he's more of a deep infielder. And then McCauley Gillespie from Plymouth, well, there's some stuff with injuries there to an extent. Derby County haven't brought in anybody. Scrolling down a little bit more. Lincoln City brought in Joe Taylor, which is a very good signing, I think. On them from Luton, they also got that Jack Moylan. The attack of a fielder from Sherbourne in Republic of Ireland. Oxford signed Carl Edwards, the winger, after he was released from Ipswich, and also brought in Jamie Cumming. If you remember him, he played for MK Dons on loan from Chelsea. He was quite good in League One level. So you'll be pleased to hear that Simon Eastwood might not be playing for Oxford anymore for a little bit. At any rate, Peterborough have only brought in Jed Steer, backup goalkeeper, similar to what, what Pompey have done. And just scrolling down, that is basically the main one. Oh, and Stephen has brought in Vadane Oliver on loan from Bradford City today. That was the Nemo only Steve Evans signing out there. L- literally, the the, the, <laughs> the the most depth the most depth target man striker you could possibly have at League One level. Yeah, he's brought him in, and that's about it. So, what Massino is claiming that most of the transfers come in late January might be correct on that front. But obviously, there are murmurings of other players. The biggest one for me being that the circulating rumours that Derby County are going to sign Corey Blackett-Taylor, who Pompey should be all over completely. And the figure mooted, I have no idea if this is true, but if it's around five half a million, £600,000, Pompey should be snapping Charlton's hand off at that for a player who could play on both wings. He's probably one of the best wide players in the league and that can make a difference right now, which is exactly what John Massino mentioned earlier. People are also talking about Johnson Clark Harris. And then, yes, I know his goal record in League One is very good. 
I personally don't think he's the player that would actually improve Pompey at all because he's more of a penalty box striker and Pompey have and now have their problems creating chances and in the press. So if you brought in Johnson Clark Harris, you bring in a striker who doesn't press, who doesn't move off the ball that much, who will take his chances if he gets them. But I don't think that fit is there, even though his goal tally and goal history is there. So it's a rough one for Pompey at the moment. I'm gonna I'm trying to bite my tongue and not have a strong opinion on it until the end of January for obvious reasons. Then we'll see how how ambitious the board is, if you want to use that term, or we'll see how the recruitment has gone. But honestly, Pompey need help here. <laughs> and I know a lot of it's down to bad luck, but yeah, this this side needs signings to be able to maintain the, the level that they are now. Fred, would you say though, and I'm going to fire this over to Andy here, that there is a transfer need at Pompey with the form we're on, with the way the team looks on the pitch, that each game coming up, and the, if we're not going to get those points, we're not going to be converting it, it might be okay for someone like Derby to sit on their hands and wait it out until the end of January. But, and did you feel that the way Pompey are playing now that fans are getting itchy and things like that purely because it's so obvious at the moment what help we need on the pitch right now to ensure that not only do we stay in the, the hunt for the top two, but also there are teams rapidly catching us from the from the bottom of the playoff um, positions, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, I don't think fans getting itchy is a, a good reason for the club to invest and, and bring players in earlier in the window. Having said that, I do think that, I mean, it would just ease a lot of nerves, hey, <laughs> just to have some, some fresh blood in through the door. I mean, I agree with Freddie on his thoughts on uh, Clark Harris, Johnson Clark Harris. I don't think... He's the right addition for the side. And it sounds like in terms of his wage demands and his contract demands, etc. It sounds like they almost had something over the line with between him and Charlton. And then his contract demands were just twice. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds like down two deals, apparently. Yeah, his contract demands were just night and day from what Charlton were willing to offer him. And, you know, Charlton are in a position where they desperately need to bring in players because they are struggling under Appleton. So if they were fairly desperate to bring him in and even they drew the line, I think his contract demands are going to be pretty pretty damn high, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, with Derby, again, it's it's not even just that they have maybe the luxury of waiting a bit longer because, you know, they've got four wins in their last five in the league and they're obviously, their trajectory is nice and positive at the moment. But they're being linked with players, you know, they're being linked with Corey Blackett-Taylor, for example, from Charlton, um, however much truth there is in that, I don't know, but uh, Paul Warren wouldn't comment on it the other night, but they are being linked with him. It was said they had an initial bid turned down, which has been quite widely reported, yeah. Yeah, I'd heard they'd put a second bid in, but but it's, there, there's no good quality, so, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not it's not decent level evidence. It's a lot of hearsay flying around on, on social media about that, but there are rumours going on there. And then... I mean, you feel a little bit, actually, maybe people listening to this don't, but you feel a little bit bad talking about Reading. It feels like vultures circling around a dead giraffe or something, doesn't it? You feel a little bit bad, uh, or maybe you don't. I feel slightly bad about it. But there are, even with sides like Derby, there are rumours flying around about transfer activity. And I'm I'm more than okay with us being very watertight with our approaches and it being a surprise out of the blue when a player gets announced. But... Yeah, you, you feel like we need to strengthen. And I mean, if we wait until the end of January, that's what, three games from now? And there's only uh, only 19 left in the league. So you're looking at about a sixth, just under a sixth of the season. So that's what, like 17% of the season or something silly. So it's actually quite a a large proportion to be like, oh no, we'll just wait till the end of January because that's what we do or that's what people do. And waiting till the end of January just gives all of the power to the teams receiving the bids because they can just play, like we saw it with uh, Sunderland on Sunderland Till I Die season two with Will Grigg. They were like 200k, no, 400k, no, five million pounds, fine. And you, the receiving team gets all the power. And for us, we're looking more at people coming in than people exiting. But other than, you know, potentially Denver Hume going and, and who knows who else going out the door on loan or on permanence, waiting till the end of the month when the bid receiving team has all the power isn't playing to our strengths because we're just putting ourselves in positions where we're going to 
have the the thin ed, the thin wedge of the negotiating triangle. I don't know where I'm going with this. Freddie, what do you think? Answer the question that I just got asked, but answer it better. And you can do that just by not saying anything. Well, well, I do understand what Pompey are doing to a certain extent because they're looking for players who will actually make an impact in the first team who will come in. Previous examples, even on loan, Hayden Carter, Steve Seddon. Massive impact for the second half of the season and to the defence pretty well. It wouldn't make a lot of sense for a depth player to come in unless it maybe is at right back if Rafty gets injured. <laughs> One point that was interesting that I saw on Twitter that other teams that other teams who got promoted have got went through a certain, you know, patchy form similar to what Pompey have done now. I mean Sheffield Wednesday, for example, had that one win in eight at the start of March last season, then dropped into the playoffs. Ipswich had one win in eight in December of that same season. But the difference here is that both those sides had ridiculous squad depth and very strong starting 11. Whereas Pompey have a starting 11 with holes in it due to injuries. And that has meant that the squad depth isn't as there as much as the fans and the manager probably thought that there would be. So really, I know that other teams at the top level of the league in previous seasons have done this. Pompey need to speed up their recruitment quite simply or have a very, very 100% idea of the players they want and as soon as they're available, no you know, no faculty around in negotiations, snap the hand off and bring them in because the season could, and I know it's doom-mongering this a bit, but it could slip if not enough is done. And I think a lot of fans have the same opinion. I think I'll go bolder and say it probably will slip if nothing's done. Now, whether it's too late, whether it's the end of January and we get some players in and, you know, it ignites the team. It, I mean, I was just talking to Gab Sutton on a, a podcast a minute ago with various other people from different podcasts like the guys from Rams Review, Yellow Block, etc. in a, a League One's promotions podcast and I'm sure that'll be out so go and check it out. But you look at the stability and the confidence that these guys have going forward. Yes, Gab was talking about bringing in four or five players for us and that's sort of what's needed. I think we need to bring in three very good players and then maybe a couple to pad, pad it out if you can. But I still think you really desperately need to bring in a ball-playing centre-back. I still think we need to get a number 10. And I still think we need another wide player. I just I don't just look at our wingers and go, that's enough to see us through to the end of the season. Especially when you play in a 4-2-3-1 set-up formation anyway, when there's so much needed and impetus on those players to get goals and assists. We saw it last season when we didn't have that. We were not good enough. So... I think you need to. What happens if Paddy Lane gets injured? What, we're going to hope that, you know, Scully comes back and provides the team and scores a load of goals? Probably not. There's a lot to look at in this team and we need to hopefully bring them in. And there is a more urgency than with other clubs. I think that's fair to say because of our form. You know, think about it. Andy's have three games until the end of January. Well, say we only get four points from that and other teams get nine. That's a huge difference, isn't it? Or say they even get seven. That's still a big difference in when you're trying to get into the top two or even stay in the playoff hunt. So we need to bring players in. I think we've hammered this home enough now. So we're going to move on. Is there anything else in the news, Fred, before I move us on to the Fleetwood preview? Uh, not particularly. The only thing is that they're apparently close to signing a new head of recruitment, but who will come in after January because the current... The current head of recruitment is going to leave after January. The new one will be brought in. Congratulations, so it's more of, it's more of a, Yeah, <laughs> it's more of a summer thing. Which when will sit when the club will see the impact of that? But yeah, that's the only other vaguely interesting thing to happen in the news recently. Andy, fire over to you for two updates, please. I would like to know the update on the women's team, and of course, as our international correspondent, I'd like to know what's going on, please, for our players out on international duty. Of course, claim to my strengths with the international duty one. Yeah, uh, so uh, Pompey women, genuinely a huge win for them uh, on Sunday. Kind of a weekend saver, to be honest with you, as a Pompey fan. Um, they are obviously, or maybe they're maybe not obvious to some listeners, so uh, Pompey women are top of 
the Women's National League South. Um, they were below hashtag United, but with games in hand until Sunday and then turned over hashtag at Wesley Park. So went a goal down um, and turned it around to win 2-1 with goals from Nicole Barrett and Emma Jones. And as things stand, that leaves Pompey on 33 points from 12 games. Hashtag are in second on 33 points from 14 games. So level on points, Pompey with two games in hand and a frankly insane goal difference of plus 44 from 12 league games so far. So overall in that in that division, you play 22 games in a season. So 10 league games remaining. Realistically, Pompey need to, to guarantee winning the title and getting promotion. Um, Pompey will win the title at least. Pompey need to win probably eight of those games. And that's if, if hashtag will win their other games. Pompey's next two games in the league, I believe, are against Ipswich and Oxford, who are fifth and fourth in the league, respectively. So a couple of big games coming up. Um, but yeah, really good to see the ladies turn it around from a goal down in such an important match. And uh, they are basically in completely control of their own fate in terms of winning the league. So long may that continue. We'll continue keeping a close eye on it. Uh, international correspondence. I mean, just before recording, we checked out Tanzania against Morocco in AFCON. Watched uh, Haji Minoga starting for Tanzania, a friend of the pod, Haji Minoga, um, and put in a, a decent enough performance. I was having a look before the game at the odds of, of him to be booked, and they were like, was it six to four or five to two? They were horrendous. They were absolutely obscene odds for a player booking. And uh, I don't think he did actually get booked in the end, did he, Fred? Uh, you watched the game as well. I don't think he did. He should have done for one tackle. That was the classic Hadji. But yeah, put in a decent enough performance in. Started, uh, looked like, started playing right wing back in at a five at the back system. But it looked like, and I didn't have the commentary on, but to me, it looked like they moved to four at the back at one point in the game as well, with Hadji playing right back in that four at the back sis, uh, system. Yeah, they pretty um, much did that when um, one of the Tanzania players got sent off for a second booking. And that basically just killed the game off. I wouldn't blame Adji for any of the goals, really. It was just the fact that Morocco had the man advantage and exploited it. Yeah. But no. I mean, to be fair, Freddie, they they exploited it before they had the man advantage. It was fairly it was fairly one-sided still while Tanzania had 11 men on the pitch, but I'm drifting away from Adji, who I guess is the main, the main point here. He didn't get a huge amount of opportunity going forward because Tanzania spent most of the time in their own half, to be completely honest with you, trying to sort of ideally launch a, a counter-attacking game, but we're mostly unable to do so. But still, great to see him starting in a, a major tournament. I really enjoy watching AFCON. There's normally some level of carnage going on in the games and I thoroughly enjoy watching it from a purely footballing perspective. And yeah, hopefully, Hadji will get some more minutes under his belt in the in the rest of their, their group games. Uh, I think... He absolutely snapped Mo Salah in one of the warm-ups as well, didn't he? He got booking for for breaking Mo Salah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I could see I could see the Portsmouth News headline of uh, Premier League Championship battle decided by Pompey Youth Starlet or something along those lines. On that note, I did have the commentary on for about twenty minutes, and the commentator was determined that Hadji was nineteen years old, which I'm fairly certain he's not. I think he's twenty-one, right? But yeah, their their fact checking didn't seem fantastic. It's going to be awkward if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm he might have been 19 for about the last four years, but I'm pretty sure he's not 19 right now. Uh, I think he's 21. So that's your international roundup. Um, Australia are playing uh, tomorrow at time of recording, but probably today or yesterday when people are listening to it, and uh, hopefully Cassini Yangi will get some some minutes in under his belt for for the Australian team as well. Nice one. Thanks, the international correspondent. And let's move us on to the final part of the podcast now. Let's wrap this one up. For you listening, going, we're only around an hour. Well, we are only around an hour, but we did do two podcasts last week. And they're kind of timeless to so go back and listen to them. Fred did the extra with Jack and Joff, the half-season player ratings. I'm sure that's going to be an interesting listen. And then also, obviously, we did the transfer special with Gab Sutton. Go and have a listen. There are some really good suggestions there as well. While you're waiting to see who Pompey signed, maybe they'll pick up one of the options we did. And if so, I can clip it and put it out there. So we'll see what happens there. But it'll be a plug for ourselves. Right, let's get into Fleetwood. Let's get into Fleetwood. Pompey might be rubbish at the moment, people, but Fleetwood are equally... Well, not equally. They are more rubbish, let's be honest. Their form is worse. 
they have lost the last four games. They're winless in one can count six. Is what's only on my screen at this moment in time. They lost to Cambridge 2-1, Derby 3-1, Shrewsbury 3-1, Bolton 2-0. The last time they got a point was against Carlisle at home. And then, of course, away at us with that beautiful performance at PO4 where they come away victorious for the point. As a team, generally, at this moment in time, I said this last time, I don't want to be too bullish and confident after what happened generally. They're still going to play that 3-4-3. They've got Stockley playing up front for them. He played in the last game, actually. Did very well from the underlying numbers. Looking at the team generally, though, I'm not overly thinking they're going to be too dangerous. Obviously, they've got Jack Hancock's love child, Phoenix Patterson, playing on the on the wide in the wide position on the left-hand side. It's someone we spoke about in the transfer special. If you want to know more about him, he's a player I think we could look at signing. They've got Josh Feller as well. He can add a little bit as well going forward. In theory, their, their front line should be pretty decent, I would say, for a League One team. That's not a bad starting three up front, but as a team, as a unit, and what they're actually doing, they're not a great side. However, we are away from home, and we only drew 1-1 with them. So, Andy Mitchmore? Yeah, they're an odd one, because they seem to be performing sort of a lesser quality than the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. So, individually, yeah, you've named the players there, their front line with Patterson and Stockley and Josh Baylor, and even Ben Hennigan in, in centre defence. Like, they've got some half-decent players, but... I watched their game. I think it was the Derby game was on Sky uh, on the 6th of January and they were abysmal. They were so bad and Derby just completely ran them around the park. And the scene is set, isn't it, really? Uh, I can't decide whether this is the perfect game for us or the nightmare game for us at the moment. I cannot decide which is the case. But yeah, they've sort of brought in Charlie Adam fairly recently as uh, as the... I don't know if they're calling him a manager or a head coach, not sure which, but Charlie Adam is, is leading them up now. And uh, is that three managers this season they'll have had? Because uh, they had Lee Johnson beforehand, and I can't even remember. Was it Scott Brown Scott there? Scott Brown, yeah. Yeah, Scott Brown there before Lee Johnson. So they're becoming the sort of League One Watford and just disposing of managers at a, a pretty quick pace. And I think there's a, and there is an air of desperation down there now because you get to this point in the season and they're, what, eight points from safety with a worse goal difference than Exeter, who are just sort of the, the first safe team at the moment in that sort of danger zone, uh, to, to quote Kenny Loggins. So, yeah, I don't know if it's a great time for us to play them or a really bad time for us to play them because I can just foresee the meltdown online if we, you know, well, if we lose or don't pick up three points. Uh, but at the same time, it's got to be said, if you're conceding three goals to Shrewsbury you've got to be looking at yourself in the mirror and wondering if you've really done your job when you go home that night. So, yeah, they're not a good side, are they? And I think whatever happens on Saturday, I really I can't see them staying up. There's a too steep a hill to climb and they've not had a new manager bounce particularly. I mean, they seem to score in a lot of games but not pick up that many results. So, yeah, Freddie, over to you. Yeah, one player who's quite good for Fleetwood who I haven't mentioned that is Junior Quintana, who would probably play well in that front three of the 3-4-3. Three, three. And it's strange, because we mentioned a lot of players there for Freetwood, who individual quality-wise, they're quite good. It's just that as a team coming together, they haven't been. And they've had their form over the last 10 games is literally two, zero wins, two draws, eight defeats. But I personally think this is the worst time for Pompey to play a team like this. Away from home, literally a tram stop in Blackpool, miles away from here in horrendous in probably horrendous weather conditions against a team that probably sees a Pompey side that's vulnerable and gettable I think I think it's going to be a rough one because I think even when I've watched Pompey and Fleetwood a few times and it's never been an easy game it's never been a cakewalk game so I think yeah, it's, I'm, it's under two and a half goals isn't it it's under two and a half goals and it's horribly attritional and it's going to rain and be cold. And honestly, I'm obviously I'm, I'm doing Port Vale and Oxford away. I'm quite happy to be missing this one. If I'm going to miss one of those three, this is the one that I am not even my conscience that. Yeah, I'm 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 okay with this. I'll cope. 
Yeah, I'm working, so I won't be there. And I've seen Fleetwood's concrete slab stadium enough. Even though the fish and chip shop outside the ground is very good, that's literally the only good positive bit. Of it, it has to be. They're called the Cod Army. They can't not have good fish and chips near the state uh, near the stadium. Imagine if it was terrible, like the worst fish and chip shop in the country for the one Cod job. Army. <laughs> it's our like like one USP. It's a really ironic sort of situation when they call the Cod Army, but can't serve the good fish and chips. Um, all right, let's just get into the end of this now as we wrap this up. I want to ask for myself, my score prediction, please, on the game on Saturday, Hugh, and any, any goal scorers. I'm going for a nil-nil. I'm getting in there first. Always ber- berate me for saying nil-nil. Yep, I know. But ironically, Freddie, when I told Freddie this before we were recording, I told him my prediction, and he said, oi, that was my prediction. So I'm quite interested to hear after firing one at me there, shot over the bow. You can berate me as much as you want, but it's also your prediction. But you're going to have to change it. So, Andy, I'm going to let you go next, please. What is your score prediction, please? Okay, well, since we're pushing Freddie out of his comfort zone, which was nil-nil, I'm going to take a Portsmouth 1-0 win to make Freddie move even further away from his comfort zone because I'm assuming that would have been a second choice unless it was a one-all draw. But I'll go with a 1-0 Pompey win. I genuinely think... Uh, obviously, we need to pick up the three points, but I think the clean sheet is as important based on our last few defensive performances and how frail and shaky we looked and at the back. I think the clean sheet is just vital. And yeah, I'll go with a Pompey 1-0 win, benefit of the doubt. And uh, yeah, Freddie, you going one all or are you going a 2-0? Yeah, thankfully, Andy didn't steal my choice. I'm going for a one-all draw. And obviously, since it's ex-Pompey, Jaden Stockley is scoring in this game. And I think for Pompey, who shall I go with? Let's go with Marlon Pack. He's going to whip in a free kick, I think. I'd like to see a direct free kick go in. Andy, who's your scorer? Oh, no idea. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask for <laughs> something else. Uh, I'll go, I don't know, Kamara. He's created so many good chances recently. I mean, his... He's doing everything other than finish at the moment. So, yeah, definitely due. Um, Freddie, I was going to ask you, you the ex-Pompey goalscorer curse, how many times does a player have to play for Pompey before that takes effect? Because Stockley played like nine games for us. And if the curse is there, how many appearances is the uh, the cutoff for? Uh, literally just one law? game for me, literally. I mean, how many games did Gaston Ahabney technically play for Pompey in the league before he managed to score against us last season? Uh, according to Wikipedia, he played a total of five games for us, according to Wikipedia, which is, you know, our staunch high-level citation for this sort of thing. But Wikipedia is not taking into consideration the pre-season games you put in, the, the firing those goals. That is before. very true. That is very, very true. Can't that argue with that. part of the, the Gasson Ahadney legacy of his time at Portsmouth there, but... Does Stockley count as more because we tried to sign him reportedly and didn't get him? Does that does that count towards the? I don't think so. I I, I just remember his goal in a in a um I think it was a free or comeback against Morecambe at Fratton Park. He scored the the equaliser. I think according to transfer market, had me played ten for us in total, scoring one. So that's again not including preseason. Take that Wikipedia, Andy's go to source for information and football stats. That's why I teach my undergrads. If in doubt, Wikipedia is the way forward. Wikipedia and Mayo Clinic. As well. Um, okay, cool. Does that chat GBT? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Pain of my life. <laughs> All right, guys, let's wrap this up now. Andy's nice having you in the podcast. Thanks, mate. Uh, yeah, just another thrilling week. Uh, we just need to say goodbye as well to Joshua Lawemi and to Jaden Reed, who have both moved to Finland, as you do. So, uh, that could be the next sort of didn't quite make it at Pompey League for us to keep an eye on for ex-Pompey Watch, which I'm delegating to Fred if I've got International Watch. But yeah, thanks, mate. Lovely to be here. And uh, what a mess. Let's, uh, yeah, we move. Next week, we go again. You can't delegate that to Freddie because you are the host of Where Are They Now? So therefore, Where are can't... you now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the song, but I think the actual title was Where Are They Now? Um, I'd forgotten that was a thing. It that is. was a happier time when I couldn't remember that. Okay, you yeah. Um, I volunteered myself as another correspondent there. Okay, I'll I'll do some legwork and get back to you. Freddie Webb, always a pleasure, mate. Oh, it's very nice to see you on the show. And uh, yeah, I think this was very cathartic of me ranting about the club I love so much. 
Really? I'm angrier <laughs> than I was. <laughs> I, feel, I feel a bit better. I think, I think it's probably because I internalised it over the weekend and haven't addressed it. So here we are. Andy, you need to calm down, mate. Go get yourself another 0% gin. And until next time, play up, Pompey. Not even a right of reply on that. Unbelievable. <laughs> you have been listening to the PO forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full time whistle. <laughs> <laughs>